This Radio Days Africa audio amplified podcast is brought to you by the Vits Radio Academy. For more content and information, click to radiodaysafrica.co.za. So dress up warmly. But enough of my idiosyncratic weather reports. Um, today we're going to be talking about music scheduling, music compiling, as well as music streaming. These are two absolute important things when it gets to music radio and, and music uh, consumption in, in general. Before I introduce the panel, in my experience, I started out, my first job in management was as a music manager, and I was involved in kind of menial radio research, music research, just, just before that. But in my experience, the one of the jobs that you cannot find, it's the most difficult. In fact, I used to keep little directories of people that had sent CVs. So obviously people who want to be on air, you're just overwhelmed by that. People in audio production, a lot of skills there. But when I got to actual music compilers or music managers, I must have had about eight CVs of quality in, in that directory. And stations rely 90, well, between 60 and 100% on music. And so finding people that are passionate about music and passionate about compiling, but can't be too uh, discompassionate about their, their own feelings about music and what, what they believe should be, should be played on the radio. So what I'm trying to say is we're struggling to find music managers and music compilers. So in this next hour, if you're really interested in the music side of things, the back end of the music compiling and music management at radio stations, I suggest you stay with us for the rest of the hour. I think it's going to be a good hour. Well, as I said, we're into week two here, Radio Days Africa 2021 Audio Amplified. It's our 12th edition and our second virtual offering. Radio Days Africa is presented by the Wits Radio Academy under the auspices of the Department of Journalism. And all of us can download the Radio Days Africa app in the Google Play and Apple App Store. Just search for Radio Days Africa. All our sessions are being podcast and available on the Radio Days Africa website. That's www.radiodaysafrica.coza. All our sessions will be uploaded to YouTube as well, so you can catch up if you lost out on any. And um, if you want to send us some voice notes, country code 0027-79528-0000. That's 0027-79528-0000. We encourage you to send those on, on WhatsApp. As you can see, we have a Q&A uh, dot on the Zoom feed. If you have any questions, and there are no wrong questions here, guys. If you need any advice or any insights, please put your comments on the Q&A on the Zoom uh, feed. Radio Days Africa is sponsored by the Conrad Adenauer Stiftung, the Sub-Saharan African Media Program, who have been a long-term partner and sponsor. And without their sponsorship, support and love of radio, Radio Days Africa would be would not be possible. Also thanks to our other supporters, which include the National Association of Broadcasters, Media Heads 360, Wise Buddha Jingles, the US Embassy in Pretoria, RCS Software, as well as Iona FM, Samra, and podnews.net. At session 11 today, 
and its music scheduling in the streaming era. Our contributors are Kenzie Mohapi. She's the music manager at Jacaranda FM. We have Sot Moldovanos. He's the editor for Africa for Deezer, a streaming app in South Africa. Zandu Mtembu, who's a music compiler at Ukozi FM. And Mankloba Kubeka at Samro. He's the general manager of licensing. And uh, Mankloba is going to give us a big overview of what Samro does in the market. Just to start off, guys, I'm going to talk to the music compilers and music managers first. I just want to know, Zander, uh, what's the music compiler's general day? What do you do every day? What's, when you walk in, you leave at five, but what are you doing every day? Um, three things. First of all, generally, on a normal, typical day, it consists of obviously having to schedule the next day's music clock for the entire day. It now has overlaid into us scheduling adverts as well because obviously SABC is trying to, um, obviously there are posts that are not filled. So some DOMs now are being inherited by certain people because it all belongs to one system. As a compiler, I'm expected to know exactly how to load ads as well and that's part of my duties now. Um, there's also listening to music for all shows on a daily basis, depending on whether people have got music uh, music features or music requests or it's interviews or if there's any specific element or sound that they need for whatever feature that they're going to be doing. And we have what we say, because what we do is on a weekly basis, we have two days where we listen to music and then we'll kind of split the next three days for us to load all those songs onto the system and categorize it and make sure that all the information for the song is furnished so we don't have any issues. So sometimes it crosses over onto more than three days in a week where you find that on a daily basis, you have about 30 songs you need to put on the system. Um, and obviously you putting on new music means you need to now reschedule everything else and move categories for all old stuff and take it out of the radio or maybe move it down to a frequency that's not going to be spinning as often. But generally I'd say it's all about loading music. It's all about making sure that schedule for the following day is in order and obviously populating all shows with all those features that they have and music queries that they need. Kenzie, what's your day like? So I think Zander pretty much nailed, uh, hit the nail on their head. There's a lot of operational elements of being a music compiler. The sexy stuff that you hear on the radio is like very small portion of that. It's an important outcome of it, but the actual day-to-day grind is a lot of admin. It's a lot of making sure that things are done correctly so that later on in the system, you can make sure the information is there. You can you can source things, you can get things out. So at Zander pretty much put it in a nutshell. But I think the most important part of music, Neil, you mentioned it, is that it's 60 to 80% of what you hear on the radio as a listener. And so it's very important in terms of the actual strategy of a radio station. So working very closely with the program manager, meeting up with them, doing research, making sure that you're on par and on the right path in terms of the sonic identity. I think that's the most important part is that you're not just music programming, you're programming the radio station uh, to support the, the the spoken part of the radio. So you're very, very close in terms of uh, the actual program manager space as well. That intertwines quite a bit into your day as well, seeing what's happening on the shows like Xander mentioned. Um, and it's not just about, oh, it's just the music elements of it. You've got to be very aware of what is happening across the station, why is it happening, and how do you as music make sure that you can enhance it? Sos, you were the music manager at 5FM for quite a while. And so you've been in the commercial radio uh, 
sector doing music. Now you're in the streaming area, you're working for DZ, you're the editor, like for Africa. What are the differences that you had at 5FM and what you're doing now? Um, well, there's a lot of similarities. I think um, I, I took a lot from what I learned and, and um, what I processed at 5, I brought it into DZ. I think the big difference lies in that um, in streaming, you actually have so much more music to go through. So where you at a radio station, you have your, your typical format, um, you know your audience, you know what kind of music to look for. In streaming, you kind of look after everything. Yes, there are certain editors that look after particular genres, particularly in the global sphere of things. But as local editors, um, you kind of look after all the genres, all the music. So um, a lot of the day-to-day -day is very similar. You kind of taking submissions, you're listening to music, and you try and allocate it to certain playlists. So a lot of similarities, but in a much broader scale. We'll talk about music research a bit later on in this hour. Let's uh, get Mankova into the conversation. Mankova, as head of licensing at Samro, can you give us an overview of what Samro does and what your role as the general manager of licensing is? Sure. Because people don't really understand the difference between Samro, Capasso, and Sampra, all the collection agencies. Yeah, it's a lot of acronyms to deal with. Um, um, Samro essentially represents songwriters, um, composers, the guys who write the songs, who create the melodies, the beat makers. So essentially, um, the example that I like to use is um, I'll Always Love You was popularized to our generation by Whitney Houston. And most people don't know that it's the song that was written by Dolly Parton um, to a co-host um, to say goodbye to a co-host that she had on TV back in the 70s. So now um, that song would be represented by Samro or Dolly Parton would be represented by Samro whenever I'll Always Love You plays, whether it's in a movie, it's in an ad, it's on radio, um, we will collect um, royalties from the radio station and pay to the songwriter. Whereas Sampra would then be representing the performer, the person who was in studio when the song was created. So there is still a Dolly Parton version um, that might be out there, not as popular as Whitney's one, Ooh, that's where Sampra will represent uh, Dolly Parton. But on the Whitney version, Sampra will represent Whitney as well and whichever other uh, musicians or, or producers that were in studio on that day. And particularly in my role as head of licensing, I ensure that wherever music is being used um, in public, there is a license for it, whether it's a band playing um, at, a, at, a, at a pub, that pub must be licensed, whether it's a, a club a pub, or a golf club, um, a country club, whether it's a, a restaurant, um, radio station, Deezer, etc. cetera. Um, wherever there's music, you're going to find me and my team knocking there and uh, trying to get a license so that we can make sure that the royalties are paid over to the musicians whose songs are being played or, or the writers whose songs are being played there. And then when people apply for a license to play music, in the public mm -hmm. arena, obviously they apply to you. How does yeah. the money work? How does how does the money work? I mean, what do radio stations pay uh, versus restaurants or live concerts or pubs or restaurants, etc.? Okay, so I think we have multiple tariffs that are designed to you know fit the type of music usage. Like you mentioned, when you opened up, you said, you know, radio stations rely 60 to 
on music to survive. People are on there to be able to listen to music. And it's a similar story with streaming platforms. And therefore, the, the tariff that we've designed is linked to the, the commercial value that that establishment gets from the music. So for the radio, the revenue is directly linked to, uh, to the music usage. So without a lot of music, there won't be a lot of ads to sell because there won't be a lot of ears tuning into the radio station. So then we link our tariff to the revenue being a percentage of that revenue. But when you go to a restaurant, the music is almost like a peripheral or byproduct of the customer's experience. They generally are there for the ambience, for the food more than anything. So we can't necessarily charge against the revenue because the revenue is derived through the food, not necessarily the food and drink most of the time and not necessarily the music. So for a restaurant, it'll be based on the capacity, the number of seats, the number of people that can be exposed to the music in that area. And it's a similar thing with shopping stores. Uh, for example, if you go to a Woolies or a spa, you're not there obviously to listen to the music. The music enhances your experience um, and can keep you in the store for longer. So in that regard, we use the audible area, which is the square meters within which the music can be heard and a, a number of other parameters. But we basically design our tariffs um, to link it to the type of music experience and the commercial value that the establishment would have for that music. We've already got a, a first question here from Peter Clutter asking about... Um, I think it's Peter Clutter, yes. Um, question to Samra. When will you start online? Uh, when will you start policing online radio stations? Most don't bother to pay music blanket licenses. Is this a Samro function or not? Um, so it is a Samro Capasso function. Samro and Capasso represent music writers, but for different reasons. So Capasso in the olden days, um, or Capasso's right is called the mechanical right or reproduction right. And that's because in the olden days, the vinyls were pressed, were reproduced, the cassettes, the CDs were all reproduced. So that's where they would collect uh, a majority of their rights for the composers and authors. And now, uh, because of streaming and downloading the tethered downloads, that's a reproduction in itself. When you tune into an online radio, it becomes reproduced onto your device so that you can listen. And when you tune in on to Deezer, Jukes, or whatever it, it would be, um, there is a reproduction there. But it's all going to the composer and author. So Samro and Capasso work together in that field to license. So we already are policing. Uh, we've got web crawlers in place. Um, we've got um, an online licensing process. We issue out, I think I sign about three new agreements for online stations a, 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 a month um, on a bad month. Um, so we are policing that that area, and there are quite a few stations who come um, and 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 hand themselves in, so to speak, uh, <laughs> to get a license, rather than um, us having to knock on their doors and 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 get them to to be licensed. So it's a good question, but we we are on that, and we work together with Capasso to do that. It's a highly technical and quite complex thing because um, copyright law. Um, across different countries, people have different copyright laws in different countries, and they apply. In, in, I mean, the United States is quite liberal. Other state, mm. other countries like Australia and Canada, like in New Zealand, are, are quite tight. So it must be pretty difficult to manage this. 
Yes, it's very difficult to manage. Uh, but what's good about it is when we work with, um, you know, our international parties, we've all got, you know, the Samro of, of Australia, the Samro of the UK, the Samro of even Zimbabwe, Zambia, etc., who will then be able to be um, the licensors within that region and be able to collect for our musicians. And we do the same for them in our region. So it's not necessarily an area where we'd have to um, have expansive knowledge on the copyright regimes in every single country because there are CMOs in those areas, CMOs being collective management organizations, Samro, Sampra, Capasso, et cetera, who would then be taking care of uh, the licensing and looking after the copyright of musicians within those regions. And we sign bilateral, bilateral um, agreements wherein they represent us and we represent them and the money flows um, each way. And more importantly, I think, I'm not sure if I answered your question about how does the money work. Um, so when we collect a license, um, obviously Zander, Kenzie and Sot and their teams would be able to give us the playlist that they played on that particular day or on that particular month. And we'd create um, um, a listing of that and that would be compared to the revenues that were collected from each radio station. And then it'll be divided into a rate per second. And obviously the highest earning or the highest earning song would be the song that had been aired the most times. And that'll be the distribution essentially, taking the rands divided by the number of plays and paying it out to the composers who own that music uh, wherein it was played um, based on whatever frequency it was played. Yeah, guys, we're speaking to Mankoba Kubeka. It's Samro, he's the general manager of licensing. Also joining us at Kenzie Mohapi. She's the music manager of Jack Rand FM. Sot Moldovanis, he's the editor for uh, music in Africa for Deza, and also Zanda Mtembu at Kozi FM. Sot, we were talking the other day, and you mentioned that you know 80,000 songs have been uploaded to streaming sites per day, per day. <laughs> um, this is quite an incredible amount of music. How, how do you guys handle that? What's the process? Um, yes, it's, it's a, a hell of a lot of music. Well, I think every team has a different process um, on, on taking the music. I think overall now we're looking at a, a total amount of just over 73 million songs available on the platform. So um, a lot to choose from. But as far as kind of weekly music goes, um, there are processes to follow if an artist wants to submit music for playlisting and for you to go through it. But it, it can become quite an arduous task. Um, and it's just I think every editor and every platform has their own kind of policy and process in place to, to, to manage it. Zander, how do you manage the record companies sending you songs? And in the old days, the record reps or record touters, as we used to call them, or record pushers, whatever you want to call them, used to actually come to the station and physically ha have a meeting with you and go, these are the songs that we are submitting this week. Yeah. With, with the digital thing happening, has this changed at all? And if it has, how are you managing people submitting songs to your playlist committee? I think for me, it's, um, it's always that we're a big house and we play every single genre. Um, so on a weekly basis, we do get about, about 10,000 songs. Right now I'm sitting with about 40,000 unread inboxes of people submitting music. 
what we've done is um, for people who are obviously under big houses, the likes of Universals, they've got their own platform where I can log on and go and listen to the music myself and pull out all the information and pull out the audio and go and load it directly onto the system for myself without them actually even calling me. Um, but obviously for small indies and still those um, traditional artists, it's a bit of a challenge right now because as we know, traditional people are not really big on the digital space. So it's a learning curve for them and we're still trying to assist them in, you know, trying to get the music submitted digitally. But as a station at the moment, we're giving ourselves four to ten weeks for us to even respond to your submission because the capacity is insane. And looking at songs that we load on a weekly basis, which is about 50 to 80, there's never, you know, we're never going to be able to cover all those 40,000 emails. So definitely there are emails that are going to be left and, you know, unread or, or unanswered. But yeah, we're doing our best and we are trying. And yeah, it's a bit of a tough one for Kosi because we have different music committees for different genres. Um, as we know, Maskandi is a very big house for us. It belongs to the station. So we, we have a separate music committee just for Maskandi. Then we'll have a different committee just for gospel. Then we've got one that's for general submissions. So it's a bit of a challenging one for us because yeah, uh, the genres are crazy. And yeah, I think everybody wants to get on the radio and get that money. So because of course he's one of the biggest radio stations in terms of audience on the planet. I mean, you're sitting with six yeah. million plus, you know. And, and also your mandate, because you're part of the PBS at, part of, mm. at, at the SPC, the Public Broadcasting Service, your mandate is very different. Um, in terms of obviously dealing with Universal, etc., you know, what, how do you actually service the people that don't actually have digital submissions, etc.? How do you deal with, with bands and artists that are coming in through the side door, through the back door, or, yeah. not, or, or leaving their stuff at reception? Yeah, so what we've done is uh, because, geez, um, we had to quickly move to digital, but obviously if you know Cozy, you know that, you know, SABC had created um, Home Music Library because there was that understanding that people submit their songs or CDs, or everything is just a physical submission. So now we've had to move into the digital space and just to try and get the artists to assist them. We have promos that run on the station. We have, um, they put up, Posters up on our Instagrams, presenters need to go on and keep reminding artists how to submit music. But when it comes to uh, traditional music, it's not really a problem for us because all traditional artists are not as big as your universals and most of them don't belong to houses like Universal and so forth. So when you deal with them, you deal with them on a one-on-one -on -one basis, which is why now I literally have a day where I just go to work just to answer the phone because everybody wants to call and ask, did you get my email? Is my submission proper? Which is still another problem. And you sit and you spend the whole day trying to look through emails to see if the song that was submitted was under, is, is it an MP3? Is it not? Does it play? Is the song credential, all, all the song credentials, are they loaded? Or they, oh, it's a bit of a hassle, but so, yeah. So, so tell me something. Just tell me something. If a song comes through on an MP3 from yeah. uh, an artist, do you ask them if they registered with Samra? Because, I mean, they want to get on the playlist. It may be a fantastic song. But if they're not registered with Samra, they're not going to be getting royalties, right? Yeah. We don't playlist you if you say you're not registered with Samra, if you do not have a RISA code, if you have no, anything. If you submit a song that has no song credentials, it's an automatic fail. Okay. We won't accept Thank it. 
That's great. Kenzie, you guys are in the commercial field. Obviously, uh, Zunda's got a quite a heavy mandate. Yours is more mm. commercially orientated. What's the process of getting a song onto Jacaranda? It's quite similar to what Zunda says. I think uh, irrespective of whether you're on a public broadcast or commercial, I think the operational side of it is, is quite similar. Um, we might not get 10,000, but I would say that during this lockdown period, the numbers have increased dramatically. And I think that's simply because people can't perform. So they're churning out a lot more uh, than they would have ordinarily. So a song will release now and three weeks later, there's another single and there's another single. Um, and that becomes challenging as well in its own right, because format is a big part of radio stations and radio stations' success. And different stations have different ways of dealing with music. I mean, if you're a, a station that may be youth orientated and has a high turnover, uh, of songs, that's one thing, right? And then you have uh, a radio station that's a little bit more familiar based. That's another thing, which means you can submit as much as you want. I can only play X amount of songs for certain amount of periods for certain amount of space. Um, and so I think that's more of the challenge in terms of commercial radio station, because we are quite big. We are quite prominent. We do have a large audience. Um, and and there's, there's quite a bit of weight that's added to being on some of the big radio stations. And so everybody wants to be on them. The process is the same in submitting. We listen, uh, we reply as much as we can. It's definitely a lot more than before. Uh, we really try as much as possible. People call, just like Zander says, when people call, you answer, you find, you engage, you send those emails back as much as possible. So there is that balancing act that you're trying to push all the time. Yeah, I think I think something that 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 artists and and production companies and maybe even record companies like that like don't get is that playlists if they run really tightly, there's a finite amount of songs in certain categories. So it's not as though you can just keep on adding song after song after song. I mean, if a song leaves, there's a space for one song. Where three mm -hmm. songs leave, there's a space for three songs. So it's almost like a football team. You know, there's eleven. Like like on the field, and you can make a couple of substitutions, but you've got to take 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 like someone off. Let's get to the streaming thing, and let's look at the big picture first. Mankoba, um, what have you seen in terms of licensing and payouts in terms of the growth of streaming in South Africa and Africa in general? Um, I think you know over the past year, particularly 2020, there's been a huge growth in streaming. Um, I think it's just because obviously people have to be connected online more than anywhere else. And I think with the fiber rollout, it's, it's almost um, in line with the more people that get connected uh, with data prices coming down from 150 bucks a gig to you know, just under 90 Rand a gig. Um, then there's, there's more people getting onto streaming. And I think just more advertising uh, that's being put out about streaming and the realities of it, because for most people, they don't know, it looks scary. It looks like it's very expensive. And, um, you know, most people don't know that it costs more from a data perspective to actually go onto these web tricks and mp3.coms and download songs uh, rather than just be on Deezer or any other streaming platform and, and listen to the songs that actually takes up less data. And um, the competitive pricing and the competition has increased and the growth in local, um, um, you know, repertoire, music or catalogs on streaming platforms 
um, has has also driven you know a huge huge um, uptick from a streaming perspective. So um, we're seeing much larger numbers, and Jerusalem has also impacted that obviously from an international perspective. And there's you know very considerable growth from a, a, a streaming perspective in, in 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 the whole of Africa, not just South Africa. And the competition is is quite rife. Before I get to thoughts about the streaming, there's a, a question here from Lucian Audiobot that says, uh, thank you for this. I'm from Eswatini. My team and I run a music uh, compilation platform where musicians submit their music to us and we release it in a monthly podcast format where we have links for, commu- uh, for commentary between the songs. What advice would you give us so we can legitimize our spins in royalties paid to the m- musicians? For now, we only do it for promotional purposes. Well, essentially, that that platform in itself is meant to be licensed, um, and and that license fee is what will contribute to the royalties for the plays that are happening from that uh, platform. And now, if it's being released on podcasts, uh, it depends where that podcast lives. Is it on? Is it on Spotify? Is it on Apple Podcasts, etc.? And we've recently started. Um, because there's so much more, um, you know, music mixes and, and and music compilations that live on podcasts, and it's no longer, you know, a mainly talk platform. Uh, we've entered into, you know, extended deals with 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 the likes of of uh, Spotify and Apple uh, Music to to then expand the license to cover the podcasts. Um, but the music monitoring elements within podcasts is still something that is still being engineered, and it's going to take maybe, you know at least 12 to 18 months for for it to be in line with you know the normal streaming element where you know the engineering has been worked on for over a decade and is and is running seamlessly but essentially for people to get royalties there needs to be a license we we distribute royalties from Visa we distribute royalties from Ukozi we distribute royalties from Jacaranda because those uh, stations and platforms are licensed um, without a license, where would the money come from? So it's, you at uh, Deezer, you got competitors like Dukes and you know the eight hundred pound uh, elephant in the room, uh, Spotify, and also Pandora to a certain degree. Um, what kind of growth have you seen in Africa in, in 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 terms of streaming, not just South Africa but the continent, because that's your your kind of job, at, like at the moment. Um, yes, there's an immense growth. Uh, in the last two years, we've seen substantial growth. Um, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of issues in Africa, very similar to to South Africa being um, access to um, Wi-Fi, the cost of data, um, and things like that. But it's it's slowly kind of turning, and we're seeing a lot of uh, potential. I think. Um, the competition is quite huge. Everyone wants a piece of Africa. Um, and, and not, But not just that, I think it's quite exciting to see the growth. Um, I think the music is crossing borders. I mean, we're seeing what Afrobeats is doing, Burner Boy, um, a lot of the Nigerian artists. And it's pretty exciting. I think um, there's a lot to come from Africa. And yes, it's, it's, it's slowly happening, but it's happening. So I think we are slowly seeing that in the growth as well with, with uh, subscribers and, and users. And tell me, obviously with streaming, there's an incredible amount of data that you get from your users. 
So what are the users using? Are they using their, their cell phones, their tablets, their laptops? What are they streaming on? Smart speakers? Uh, predominantly it's mobile. Most of the streams come from mobile. The uh, desktop comes in kind of second, but quite far behind. Um, mobile is, is the kind of the choice for most users. I think it's just the accessibility of it. Um, but yeah, I think that the nice thing is that that Deezer is available on, on, on any devices and we, whether it's smart devices, which are still kind of a yet to take a big um, jump in SA, um, but we're getting there. And I think it's cool that we'll be able to access Deezer from anywhere. I mean, now you can even get onto your TV and you can download the app on your TV and just tune into a, the streaming and you can hear your playlists. So it's pretty exciting. Basically, the barriers to entry here are the data costs, the connectivity, and probably the like the hardware as well. To, like the access, those are the two barriers, the main barriers to entry. Yeah, I think. I mean, I, I think probably that for Africa, that's the data cost. Um, I've, this is not an issue in a lot of the the European countries. Um, so we're slowly getting there, and I think that's also the kind of mindset of um, as as Mankoba said that a user will tend to think, oh, I'm, this is going to cost me data firstly, and I have to pay for it. So it's just kind of changing their mindset and going, cool, a premium subscription is only 60 Rand, which is really nothing if you think about it. And you have access to all this music and it's just 60 Rand a month. But we also do have a, a free tier, so you can get on. Um, it, it comes with adverts um, and other things, but you can test it out. So I think it's just a, a slow growth, but we're getting there. I think it's it's a lot of the, uh, the the communities, a lot of the public are slowly catching on. So when I subscribe to Deezer, either for the 60 bucks or the lower version, I'm going to get ads in it. Or if I get the, the, the premium service, there are no ads. Can I make my own playlists? Can I access other people's playlists in terms of what the offerings are on Deezer? Are they pretty much the same across the streaming um, competitors? So your, your your premium subscription gives you access to everything. So you have you can do whatever you want, and that also includes a family subscription and a hi-fi subscription. Um, the free tier has restrictions, so it comes with ads. You come with shuffle mode, um, limited recommendations, um, but you can kind of. You can still access the music. So you, you tune in, you click onto a playlist, and the music will shuffle. So you can hear a playlist. Unfortunately, you can't listen to an album from beginning to end. Um, so it'll change a lot. And you're allowed, I think, like six skips per hour. So a lot more restrictions. That has to do with, with licensing um, and the rights holders to limit, obviously, because in the end, the artists, we need to pay the artists. So we want to we want to be able to scale up from free to subscriber so that there's more uh, money coming in and there's more money going towards the artist. Okay, now for our terrestrial music managers, and I really must say it's great to have two female music compilers or managers in the group because I found it really difficult. It's always been a really male-dominated area, and I know men yeah. just hear the chorus, whereas women kind of hear the chorus and the lyrics and kind of attach themselves to it in a more emotional way. So it's really good to have two women on. So firstly, you, is streaming, Kenzie, a threat to terrestrial broadcasters? I think streaming is a supplement to terrestrial radio. I think we can't see radio as a center anymore. 
it hasn't been the center for a very long time. I mean, there's a whole song, Video Killed the Radio Star. That was what, early 80s, late 70s? Um, and radio still survived. And I think th there will be a challenge if you see yourself as the center and losing grip, where you need to see yourself as a content provider um, that is providing a number of streams of content, including music. And you're curating that specifically for your audience. And I think that also helps you. So in that way, you can also use streaming as part of your research. You can use that as part of a gauge for what people are listening to and are into right now. Uh, but also social media is a, an important part of that as well. So all of those elements are, become keys and become tools for you to use to enhance your traditional radio product. Zanda, what's your experience with streaming in, in the station strategy? Is it taken yeah. seriously? Is it something you want to be involved in? I think for us, it's something that we, we've been trying to get ourselves involved in, especially when it comes to our parts now, because what we've done with the, the top 20 for the station is they've kind of plugged out all the traditional sounds and just left it for the urban music. And we're no longer as PBS and as traditional as we used to be, because now we're trying to get into the whole changing world. So you can expect to hear songs that don't belong to the station on the station because now we're trying to capture the new, you know, the new sound and trying to move with the times. But in the same breath as we still have our traditional guys that are still there, although they're not really into the whole digital platform kind of, you know, day-to-day -day works, but some of them are starting to get into the whole grip of now trying to learn things like Visa and trying to get into your, your Apples and Spotify's and stuff like that. But it's taking forever, but it's something that we are taking very seriously because Unpired Parts now no longer runs on how the station playlists their own music, but it also runs in terms of what's being streamed on other platforms. So you guys, you've got a podcast offering, you've got uh, pieces of your on-air like highlights. Do you actually have a, a separate music stream for Ukozi or not? No, we don't have at the moment. Okay. Kenzie, um, you guys stream live on the internet, the live programming. Do you guys have a, a, a sub-stream or a second station? So what we've decided to do, I think there's different ways of approaching that. I know our sister radio station, East Coast Radio, has got uh, East Coast Gold, which runs, which is a separate, which is old school, 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, we are a little bit more experimental. We are building pop-up stations specifically around certain themes. So Women's Month, Heritage Day. Um, and I think it's basically mainly because we have a very strong website offering. So we pour a lot of our resources into on-air and that supports the website, which is a million unique browsers. So we, we have, we're curating specifically for there as well. And we also want to make sure that we don't split our audience too much. I think too much information is also too much for an audience. So um, having the individual themed themes for now, at least while we're going, I think is the best way for us. So that we're not too far away from our audience, but we're also catering specifically to something that we know that is of interest to them for a specific period while drawing them back to the main product, drawing them back to our website because our revenue still lies in traditional media. And I think at the end of the day, we need to build everything around it to make sure that we're still enhancing our main product, which is radio. So do you think by adding streams or pop-up stations or telling people to go listen to your podcasts or what you've done on air previously, it's kind of cannibalizing your audience? It can be. I think it's how you do it. I think if you're just throwing things at people, uh, they could get tired of it as well. I think 
that's part of the reason why there's been so much success in terms of the Netflixes of the world is people can choose when they want to consume what they want when they want. Um, and so if you're going to have a constant stream of radio, which is great because people are plugging in traditionally, if they want to have a specific sound that they want to, they can know where they can go on your platform to find that. Um, if they want to have a podcast and they only listen to your podcast and they're just consuming that, I think consuming you as a product is important either way. And if you're catering for people, it's great. I think trying to be all things for all people is one thing, but being really good at the different segments for different parts of your audience is more important. Okay, I've got a, a message here from Mia Convecker, who works at Algo FM, and he's worked in, in music management for quite a while. He says, a question for compilers. Have you noticed the impact of streaming on music research? A couple of decades ago, it took a high number of plays for a song to be familiar with, with, with the listener. Is it still the case in the age of streaming? Kenzie? Uh, yeah, I think there is an impact of streaming. I think there's an impact of social media, which is a lot more direct of the impact uh, that, than streaming. I think streaming is definitely there. But social media, TikTok, <laughs> YouTube, challenges, everyone's at home, everyone's consuming a lot more. Um, that, I think, has a bigger impact on familiarity. Mangoba mentioned Jerusalem as an adult contemporary radio station. That wouldn't be something that we would consider traditionally. But it's something that became part of our ecosystem a little bit later on once it was super familiar with our audience outside of our platform. And I think once there's a, an overlay and an overlap, you need to start considering which songs fall into that gray area, this new area that you can start incorporating into your programming. So yes, I do think there's, an, there's, a, there's a research element there. I do think there's an impact of streaming and particularly social media around our research. But your research is quite sophisticated. You're doing call-out research for your current music. You're doing auditorium for your oldies. You can't do auditorium as much as you do. Have you turned any of that into online research where people go into a website, you know, listen to songs, rate them, et cetera? So we're busy with that right now because I don't think anyone expected us to be in lockdown a year and a half into the game here. I mean, everyone thought it would be maybe max a year. And so right now we're sitting here considering what the different options are and looking at the new ways of testing our research. And so we are busy developing new ways to supplement that until we can go back into uh, a stream of being able to do a combination of old and new. Same with radio um BRC or radio ratings, I think it's been difficult to measure that. And I think trying to find that new wave is our next big challenge. But wouldn't digital kind of sort that out? Because in the States, they're using this PPM where you wear a device and they monitor what you listen to. You know, and it's pretty like uh, research in real time. Yeah, I think it would be for a radio station like a Jacaranda where your audience is a certain, uh, certain access to certain things. But I think universally for a radio for the radio industry, I think we need to find something that can work across the board. So as much as people are online a lot more, you mentioned a little earlier that resources like data are a big part of this. So you would require a certain amount of time from people in a certain uh, period, a certain amount of time of their time as well. Uh, dynamics are, play a part in that as well in terms of are people working? Are people at home? When do we do this? How do we control this? How is this a controlled environment? Um, and so I think all of those things are elements, but I think if we're going to move into that space for stations that have audiences that have already have access to all of those things, it's much easier. But I think finding the universal measure is what we need to try and find. Zonda, obviously, of course, we spoke about the separate mandate. How much music research does Ukozi do? Um, the tricky part about Ukozi is obviously we all fall into the SABC branch. So we do have things that are that you'll not find that researchers are 
done by specifically a station, you'd find that SABC would probably source someone outside the SABC to come and do the research and then feed it to the station according to what they have done without us obviously knowing what, you know, how they broke down the whole trying to figure out the research and what works for the station and what we need. So I think that's another challenge that we usually get as a station because um, we are under the SABC umbrella. So you find that there are things that we cannot do as a house, as Ukozi by ourselves, we need to wait for the bigger guys sitting in Joburg to decide how it's going to be done for each and every station. So it's you at Deezer, you know what you, you, you know when people are, are consuming your products, you know where they are, you know what devices they're using. I mean, it's almost like you don't have to do the research because you've got so much data on your audience already. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I wish it was as easy as that. I think really? the, the big the big plus is that we do have all the analytics instantaneously so we can get into that data. Um, and and we kind of, we process it. We, and I won't say we live by it. I think as Deezer, we, we try and create still a, a human feel and a human touch when it comes to curation and playlisting. Um, I mean, some, some platforms rely completely on algorithms, whereas our editors are kind of pride themselves in having that human element. So as much as we focus and we look at the data, um, we try and curate um, sometimes, I suppose, in the gut, you know, which I always used to kind of believe in when I was at five. So the data is there um, and, and, it, and it's pretty cool to have it. And I think in regards to radio, it, it's definitely something that, that radio compilers can, can, can look at because you don't need to kind of go on a back end. I think... Deezer, for example, has their top 100 lists updated every day, you know, so you can access it. Um, other platforms, similarly. So you can always see what's happening on a, on a certain day, which tracks are testing high. Um, and it's a good indication. I think from, from me, it's, it's quite a, a weird thing because sometimes I kind of go back to radio and see what they play because there are certain songs that are, haven't come up through streaming yet, you know, and particularly in Africa. So it's, it's, it's kind of funny when you see the, the radio kind of guys looking at streaming charts and then I'll go and look at the, the radio charts. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of look at the radio monitoring charts and it's always it's super interesting to see because it does give it a, a kind of a bigger perspective. Um, there's, there's so much data out there. It's kind of how much time do you have to process it all? So I think individually you kind of have your go-to and you look at what you, you think will work best for your curation and you take it from there. I've got a question here from Ronald van der Valt for you, Sasha says, is it possible to contact Jesus, Spotify, Apple for localized streaming stats? That is a single province, city, et cetera. Um, it's not too easy. I mean, it depends what they want it for. I mean, a lot of the data is internal. Um, so the public data, which, like I said, on the, the homepage, you can find the, the top 100 charts for many countries. So there's a channel which you can go see what's charting in Nigeria, what's charting in Kenya, the US, which is updated every 24 hours. Um, and then there's, the, there's a, a site for creators and labels um, where they can go and analyze the analytics of their artists and their music. Um, for the public, it's not that easy to get that kind of information. It all depends why, what they want to do with it. Okay, there's a question for you as well here. It says a uh, question for Sots from the Siba Marukana. Um, has COVID-19 lockdown impacted streaming numbers, whether it be in a negative or positive way? Um, it, it's definitely impacted. I think um, 
what we saw at, at the beginning of, of COVID, which was March last year, um, where most of the world went into lockdown. I think a lot of us expected a, a, an increase in streams, but somehow there was a decrease. And that, and that trend con continued for about three weeks and we were kind of surprised at that. But what we found is streaming um, globally, I think, is, it's, and particularly, as we said earlier, is, is accessed by mobile. So it's, it was, it's, the biggest usage comes from commute, you know, so your, your kind of peak hours would be in the morning, say, 8 to 10, and in the afternoon, similarly, 3 to 6, you know. Um, so with people not going to work, you lost that. So we lost, the, the, our streaming actually went down at the beginning of COVID. So I think the streaming that picked up would be your, your Netflix and things like that, because everyone was at home. Um, but then after that, it kind of came back and we did get a lot of, we did see a lot of growth. I think kind of users, subscribers, um, they, there was a lot of education around streaming from all platforms. I think it's just beneficial to everyone. Okay, I've got a question from King Solomon. Uh, the surname doesn't come out. But anyway, he says, how far are we from seeing radio stations buy listenership data from streaming services like Deezer? I can tell you in the last two years, I've tried to get figures about Deezer, Jukes, Spotify, Apple Play, uh, Google Play, iTunes, um, and it's impossible. I mean, even trying to go on to some issues around what was happening with Tebow Touch and with Gareth Cliff, uh, people are really tight with that data because, I mean, what do they say? Data is like the new oil, you know, just like Greece is the cog, cogs of, of commerce and, and, and industry. And obviously putting a lot of money into the back end, into research uh, stations or, or, or businesses just aren't going to give away their data for nothing. Am I right here? Uh, yes, to an extent you are. I think there are um, elements where we can look at uh, data sharing. I think um, these are partners with a lot of uh, brands, whether it's a corporate brand. Um, there's been um, some ideas of, of partnering with even radio station. I think when you've locked in a partnership, whatever agreement that is, then depending on the type of agreement, you could look at, at, at data sharing. I think it could benefit both parties. So... Um, yeah, there is some leeway maybe if there was a partnership, but in general sense, that, like you said, that data is, is uh, like oil. Yeah. Dover, um, being at Samro, we've always been told about follow the money. So mm -hmm. I know that you've had artists camping out in reception, demonstrations, a lot of negative press. Yeah. Once you've got, once you've got the money from the streaming companies, from the radio stations, from the restaurants and the concerts and the, and the pubs, what happens to it? How's the money divvied up between the artists who have been played? So I think we need to start where, you know, like you said, you asked uh, Zanda earlier on, and I think you asked Kenzie the same question. Like, would you play a song when the artist isn't registered with Samro? And Zanda and Kenzie, and I'm sure Sot at Deezer, all require ISRC codes, ISWC codes, codes, all the metadata that shows who owns the song, who's the composer, who's the session musician that was in there, et cetera. And we house all that data at Samro. So when somebody comes and becomes a member of Samro, uh, they give us 
the full spec of details, um, including the pseudonyms that they'd be performing uh, through. And each song that they released needs to be uh, notified on Samro, giving us all those details that would, you know, be the same details that would uh, kick out an ISWC code. And that that particular work is shared within a repository of international CMOs where anybody in, across the world will be able to pick up that song and identify, or not anybody, anybody who works within a collecting society like Samro would be able to pick up the details of that song. So now when we get the money from a particular station, then they show us, uh, we played the song however many times, it goes into a broadcasting category, a digital category, et cetera. And that gets distributed according to our distribution schedule, which is published on our website. We have over 16 distributions a year. For digital, we distribute four times a year. That's quarterly. Uh, for radio, we distribute every February. Um, for TV, we distribute every March. And that's because, obviously, for digital, um, our systems work well with, with the kind of reporting that comes from digital. It's much more frequent and it's much more clearer to see the data um, in terms of the usage data. And from a radio perspective, it's a little bit more convoluted and, it, and we do try, um, and, and radio is working really well as well in trying to you know, update the systems to, to make it a more seamless process. It just makes it easier for the, for the radio side and for our side. And we're also using uh, radio monitoring services and TV monitoring services to improve our process and to have that um, second level of assurance to confirm that whatever was given to us as the music that was played, we've actually listened in through an independent party to confirm that that was actually the music that was played through that radio station and we pay according to the number of plays. It's almost as simple as that. So, so just two things there quickly. If someone yeah. is a member of Samro and submits a song with incorrect or less information than you need, what happens to that money if you can't find the composer or the author? Well, if they registered the song with incomplete information, um, almost every single song has to have 100% ownership, right? So if, if they only put in, you know, their details, 50% composer and the other writers on there, but there aren't any other writer splits, the membership team will ask them, okay, but your information seems to be incomplete and the system won't allow um, that information to be captured and submitted as, as, as full or complete if there are missing fields. So there's going to be interaction between the central team and that particular member. And now we've got an online you know, notification process that, that has field, field checks that confirm that the information is complete or not. Now to answer the question where maybe the song found itself on radio and doesn't have, you know, a member attached to it. What we do is we reserve that money um, in, into a, an area called undocumented works. And we, we send out, um, you know, communication to our members almost monthly to say, there's a, a new list of undocumented works that has been put up on our member portal. Please go check and confirm whether this info, this particular but, song was yours. But, but, but just quickly, I mean, so yes, you're dealing with the the, the guys who haven't filled in the data properly. Um, in terms of paying artists, um, there's a pool of money. The artists yeah. who have been with Samra for longer have more play, have more songs being registered, being played more. They get paid out of the pot at a higher rate than people at the bottom. Or doesn't it? Or is it 
It doesn't really work that way. So for example, Namtai was essentially, you know, got her first, you know, big radio song. And you can compare her to um, maybe a, a composer, maybe Mafigi Zolo, who are in a similar genre. Um, we will play according to the data for that particular year. Just because Mafigi Zolo has been there for longer doesn't mean that, you know, they're going to pay, they're going to be paid according to that, that particular period of time. It's, it's, it's an accounting process. We pay for the 12 months, June to July of each year according to what the radio stations have reported, as well as our um, radio monitoring data has reported for that particular 12-month period. So it'll be uh, a paper play almost from a... Okay, okay. So that's the... So I know you don't work in the finance side, but but how do the streaming guys pay artists in terms of... Uh, is it Do they get paid per song, per stream, or is it a lump sum of money... And the so, top artists get paid the most money and the least streams yeah. get paid the least money. So Deezer pays the rights holders. They don't pay artists directly. Um, and it, it, right now it's based on kind of a market share. So it all comes down to who has the most streams and kind of depending on different uh, agreements and licenses with those rights holders, um, that percentage will be, will be paid. Um, looking at about 70% total goes out to the rights holders. Um, and I think it, it's obviously been a big, big discussion recently with COVID is, is payment system for artists. Um, and there's one thing that, that Deezer is kind of championing at the moment is to change that system and, and kind of pushing a new system called UCPS, which is a user-centric payment system. Um, I don't want to get too, too much detail into it, but it's kind of a, a subscriber pays for the music they listen to and not necessarily what is the market share. Okay, to our analog friends, Kenzie and Zander, just to close off, I mean, you're compiling mainly for your terrestrial broadcasters, for your listeners who listen on the radio, smart speakers, streaming, podcasting. I mean, we really are up against, or, you know, the people attention span has been segmented into many things. Kenzie, in closing, how are you going to handle this? I think we're going to embrace change. I think that's the biggest part of this is that it's not going to automatically disappear now. We need to embrace what's coming and the change and cater for your audience. I think sometimes you get distracted because you're seeing that there's a new kid in town that's getting their attention. Focus on your audience and focus on what's familiar. Focus on what you know that they want based on your research as well. It'll hold you in good stead. People get bored of fads. People get bored of a particular sound and a style, but they won't get bored of what they're familiar with. So yes, you can enhance it, look at the spice with the new things, but make sure you know your audience. I think that helps you navigate a lot easier. Zander, in closing, your, uh, is it a threat? Is it a complimentary thing that you could use? Yeah, I was actually about to say the same thing, that the mandate is very clear. We do have room to play around, but we also need to know exactly what we're required to do. Okay, well, that's about it, guys. I'd like to thank everyone. Music scheduling in the streaming era, uh, really quite competitive, and we need to find new and exciting ways to engage with our audiences. Thanks to Kenzie Mohapi, music manager, Jacaranda FM. Sot Maldavanis, she's the editor for Africa for Deezer Streaming. Zandian Timber, she's a music compiler at Kuzi FM. And Mantroba Kubeka, he's the general manager of licensing at Samra. Thanks for your insights today. I'd like to thank the Conrad Adna uh, Swifton and the Sub-Saharan African Media Program for their sponsorship. 
Also supported by the National Association of Broadcasters, Media Head 360, Wise Buddha Jingles, the US Embassy in Victoria, RCS Sound Software, Ono FM, as well as Samro and Podnews.net. Coming up this afternoon at two o'clock with Claire Mawisa, there's going to be an interesting session. That was a Radio Days Africa audio amplified podcast brought to you by the Vitz Radio Academy. For more information and podcasts, click to radiodaysafrica.co.za.